Today we're going to talk about words, how important they are. But before we do, again, let us pray. Father, guide us as we study your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Words are unique to human beings. Animals do not have words. In fact, the word language itself came from the Latin, just meant the tongue, which, of course, makes words possible in part. So what is a word? Well, if you look up in the dictionary, it says it's a speech sound or series of sounds serving to communicate meaning. Um, obviously, complex speech patterns, very complex. Um, the verbal part came first, and then the written came later. Uh, and, of course, when you look at a word written, that's really just symbols for the sound. That's all it is, uh, but very important. Um, evolutionists claim that human language accidentally developed about 200,000 years ago. Biological research recently into human language suggests that we are hardwired for language, for speech. But the evolutionists don't ask the next question, who did the hardwiring? Now, where did that come from? Obviously, we know that God gave us the gift of words, the gift of speech, the gift of speech. For the first 2,000-plus years of, of Earth's history, there was no written language. It wasn't necessary. It had perfect memories. But writing became necessary as memory began to fade. And I'm so thankful uh, for writing. Uh, I don't know who invented the first you know, writing device. Probably it was a stylus of some kind on the, you know, to engrave in the clay. Uh, and then later, of course, we got pencils with erasers, which are really handy. Um, and uh, then be able to make notes to remind us. But in fact, the whole idea of something is written is to preserve it. But animals, of course, do communicate in very amazing ways, but without words. They have animals have no alphabet or, or dictionary, but they do communicate. They discovered that the humpback whales actually sing. And you might have years ago they did some recordings, undersea recordings, and they had to speed it up dramatically so we could hear it. And uh, it sounded like beautiful song, just, just beautiful songs. And their conclusion was that this was a way that these whales, as they traveled the ocean, kept the family pod in contact. Even though they might be scattered hundreds of miles apart, these low-frequency songs would, would keep the, uh, the, the whale families together. Um, elephants communicate. Um, they grumble. They have very deep, deep sounds below our threshold for hearing, um, which apparently can travel a long, long way, and even, they believe, over 100 miles. And so if the elephant families get separated, they can come back together and find each other uh, in that way. Um, dogs can learn 
some of our words to understand them. There was a circus trainer uh, some years ago who apparently had a very, very smart dog who he claimed could understand over 2,000 words. None of my dogs were ever that smart. <laughs> um, and then sheep dogs, what they learn, you know, with the signals and the voice and everything, it's amazing what they do to, to uh, particularly for the, for the uh, um, contests they have at the, to uh, herd sheep. In fact, I was talking to a sheep, a professional sheep trainer, sheep dog trainer from Oklahoma a few years ago, and he was so good at training sheep dogs that he had inquiries from parents and grandparents wondering if they could, if he could help with their children because because <laughs> he was so good with uh, training the dogs. Um, parrots and crows, of course, can mimic our words, and some of them can do it quite well. Uh, many years ago, I think in Australia, um, on the radio, there was a, a uh, minor bird, which originally, I think, from India, but it's in the crow family, um, his name was Ruffles, and he had learned to talk, and I guess he was pretty popular on the radio as they would talk to him and, and, and teach him and the things that he would say and answer and so forth and so on. Um, and yes, most of the time, I think, with parrots, they're, they're mimicking, uh, but sometimes they have a little bit of understanding of, of where these words belong. And when Ruffles got old and very sick. Of course, they brought in the best, best veterinarians to try to help him, but they couldn't, couldn't help him. But they uh, still had him, you know, at the radio station. And during his last days, as he was suffering and feeling miserable, the only thing he could say was, poor Ruffles, poor Ruffles. <laughs> it's actually pretty smart, isn't it? <laughs> when I was in grade school, uh, I remember there was a, a pastor by the name of Horace Redding, and he would come to, to occasionally to visit my father, a pastor, and he brought with him a parakeet. Um, in fact, he came several times, and he always had this parakeet. I don't know if the parakeets went on pastoral visits or not, but uh, anyway, he'd come by to say hello to my dad. And uh, the, uh, the parakeet's name was Ricky, and he had been trained to talk which I thought was fascinating. And um, he could say his name. He would say, now Horace Redding, the pastor Redding, had a very deep voice. So the parakeet mimicked that deep voice, and he would say, my name is Ricky, R-I-C-K-Y. <laughs> and then the pastor tried to teach him to count. And they got sort of a start, and the parakeet would say, Two and two are I-C-K-Y. You know, he would get confused and, and go off in the other direction. But I, I, I was delighted. Um, and it is amazing uh, the way animals communicate. Um, wolves, for instance, the, the, the wolf packs, have, they believe, about 80 different signals to, to communicate. And that can be with the tail position, uh, the ear position, the body position, uh, all the different growls and, and, and whatever, uh, squeals. Uh, they, they do quite a bit of communicating, you know, in their setting. 
But obviously, they're not using words. Um, I've always been interested, at least as long as I can remember, interested in words. Um, somewhere between the age of two and two and a half, I learned the alphabet by, I would sit in my dad's lap, and he'd be reading the newspaper. And you know, they had those big letters at the top. And I was curious. And so I would point to a letter and say, who dat? He'd say, R. I'd say, who dat? B. Who dat? A. That's the way I learned the alphabet. Um, my mother told me later that I didn't do much with that until I was about two and a half, and then I started talking in sentences. Um, now, my sister, my younger sister, Beth, she's nine, nine years younger. Uh, she was way ahead of me. Sorry, fellas, but girls usually learn faster and do better with language than we do. Um, at 13 months old, my sister had a vocabulary of 125 words. 13 months old. Um, so it's amazing, but we all learn in different ways. But obviously a part of that process of developing memory is directly tied to the learning of language. Um, in fact, I believe it's very difficult to have very distinct memories. You may have some you know, picture memories, but it's hard to remember very much without words. They seem to, to, to develop about the same time. The history of creation of the earth begins with the God family using words. They say, let us make man in our image. In fact, God's first recorded message to Adam and Eve with words. Be fruitful and multiply. After the fall, we hear the voice of God, which is, we know is Jesus, because he's the Redeemer. Um, Jesus, in the garden, looking for Adam and Eve and saying, where are you? Where are you? Of course, he knew. He was just calling them back. Those are words of caring. After the fall and, and, and throughout, uh, particularly the Old Testament times, one of the most beautiful phrases that occur in the Bible many, many times is the word of the Lord came. And it would say came to usually a messenger or a prophet, a spokesman for God. And in fact, that happens 92 times. The word of the Lord came. And it would be a message. Now, sometimes in a vision, sometimes in a dream, sometimes the audible words. Um, just interesting as I was looking that up, began to think about that, that one half of those 92 times occurs in the book of Ezekiel. Very interesting, because Ezekiel is a, is a prophetic book. So, the, the dreams, the visions, audible, verbal, initially, of course, Moses, even God said, Moses is not like other prophets. He says, we speak face to face in the mountain. And, of course, the Ten Commandments were written by the finger of God. There's a prophecy in Joel 2.28, which says, It shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, 
you young men shall see visions. So God, through his prophet Joel, declares that he, God, would speak again just before the end of time and before the second coming of Jesus. Throughout all of Bible history, revival and reformation has followed the study of God's word. What a sacred treasure. The Bible preserved at great cost, even with the blood of the martyrs, throughout the ages, um, and has come down to us as this amazing, amazing treasure. Um, of course, we don't have any original Old Testament or even New Testament copies. We have obviously copies of copies, but been carefully um, preserved and transcribed. Um, back in 1902, um, there was discovered um, a scroll uh, written in Hebrew, and it, um, it contained the Ten Commandments from the book of Exodus, the Shema Israel prayer, which is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Um, it's from Deuteronomy. And, um, uh, um, but it was from, I, I believe, about the year 1000. But then, some of you may remember, uh, the story of the Dead Sea Scrolls, when suddenly all these ancient scrolls were found in, in the Near East, Middle East, by a shepherd boy, um, throwing a stone into a hole and oh, sounds like a cave. And uh, so he went looking and of course didn't know what he'd found but soon, soon uh, asked for some help and they discovered. And here was a large section, almost everything in the Old Testament um, and many scriptures from the New Testament were found dating back another thousand years earlier to as far back as 200 years before Christ. And, of course, some of the New Testament were, were within 100 years after Christ. So it was amazing, um, amazing find. And what was interesting, the, uh, there were some people um, said, well, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and they realized how old they were, now we're going to find out how much was lost in all this translation and copying and copying and copying from copies through, through the centuries. Guess what? Nothing was lost. It was so carefully preserved uh, that there were no surprises. It was no surprises um, at all. God had his hand over all of that. Also, uh, more recently, um, there was a scroll, a little scroll that was made out of silver, a very small one, and uh, going all the way back to the 7th century B.C., which I think is the oldest one that they have found. And um, this is from Numbers 6, 24 to 26. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh cause his face to shine upon you and grant you peace. So that's the oldest text that we know of um, that has been discovered. But God has had his hand over the preservation and the transmission of his sacred word. I want to take a look at several passages today from Scripture, many of them very, very familiar, um, which remind us of how powerful, 
how important the word, the words of God are. For instance, beginning in, in uh, Psalms 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. Of course, talking about creation. There's power in the word of God. And that same power that he exhibited creatively and also in the Sea of Galilee when he said the, the winds and the waves be calm, that same power is in his word spiritually. Also, another verse from Psalms 33 says, For he spoke and it was done, he commanded and it stood fast. Um, and then in the passage which uh, was read as the scripture for today, where it speaks of, of his delight as in the law of the Lord, which means the total, total message, words from the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, it's kind of interesting that um, in the margin, they list, in my Bible, which has a lot of references, it gives us the literal meaning of the word meditate in the Hebrew at this point. And that word meant ponders by talking to himself. Kind of interesting. To meditate means to ponder. And interesting they would mention by talking to himself. So this suggests that a very important way to meditate on God's word is not just by reading, but by reading out loud. Because then we're getting a double benefit. Um, I have found, hopefully you have too, that when we read and speak the words, they tend to stick better. They, they remain with us better. Then in Joshua 1.8, it says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Um, so God calling constantly that we treasure, um, treasure his word. Um, another verse from Job 23.12 says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Now, personally, I find food quite necessary. As you can tell, I don't have much margin for error. <laughs> In a famine, I'd be the first one to go. But um, so just like we need food, we need the food of God's word uh, to sustain us spiritually. Then Psalms 119.11 says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Um, in order for the word of God to be hidden in our heart, it's up to us to put it there. It's up to us to study um, and to treasure. Because we've been promised that Jesus said that we're called to, to witness for him in a trial or other circumstances. He, you know, his spirit will give us the memory of, of what we should say. But it's up to us to be storing that knowledge. Romans 10, 17, very familiar passage, says, For then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word 
of God. And for most people throughout most of history, that's how they received the word of God, was through hearing, because most could not read. Now, more people read today, but there's still many, many people that don't don't read or haven't learned to read yet uh, in, in poorer countries. And so that's an extremely important part uh, of our connection with God's word. Um, and then also in the New Testament, it says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, and then in 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul writing to Timothy, the young, the young minister, it says that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which were able to make you wise for salvation. And then um, earlier in that same um, letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he mentions how Timothy had learned the Scriptures. And he says, I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So apparently these were very, very devout, dedicated uh, women who taught Timothy uh, the Scriptures so that later he could become a, a treasured associate um, of the Apostle Paul. And then in Acts 17.11, it mentions this group in Berea. He says, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, literally more noble, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Now, in that context, they were hearing, you know, the good news of salvation. They were finding out about who Jesus was. And they were searching the scriptures, and the scriptures they had at that time was the Old Testament. And for most people at that time, it would have been the Septuagint, the Greek translation. Um, and so here these people were daily searching the scriptures and comparing them with what they were learning from the Apostle Paul, which tells us that God is very comfortable for us to compare everything we hear spiritually against his word. Because if it doesn't match up with his word, there's no light in it. But if it does match up, um, it is worth preserving and cherishing. Um, and then uh, further in the New Testament, Jesus, who, uh, the living word, said, I am the bread of life who comes down. And that's a beautiful symbol because bread was kind of the emblem of life itself. When somebody would say, I'm hungry, often they say, I just have no bread because bread was considered the staff of life. Um, and so Jesus says that he was the bread of life. And later in that same chapter, John six sixty three, Jesus would say, it's the spirit who gives life, the flesh profited nothing, but the words that I, Jesus, speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And then Peter, verse 6, 68 of John 6, um, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
Apparently at that point, a lot of people were walking away. Didn't sound like this was the Messiah they were looking for. Not a glory Messiah. Not a king Messiah at that point. So they're, they're leaving. And Jesus asks his disciples, are you going to leave me too? And Peter gives this beautiful answer. Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of life. But obviously the most important part of the word of God and its transmission to us was when Christ came as the living word, the incarnation. For in the beginning, John chapter 1, which you probably have memorized, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God, talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. There is another translation of the Bible which is not based on good scholarship. And in it, it says, in the beginning was a word, and a word was with God. For that group of people, they have demoted Christ to a secondary position of not being eternal. But in the original and the Greek, it's very, very clear that we're not talking about any word anywhere else. We're talking about the word, uh, Jesus himself, the living word, because he was singular and unique and divine. And then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, um, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And literally in the, in the Greek, where it says he dwelt among us, he tabernacled among us, going back to the image of, of the tabernacle there in the wilderness with the children of Israel. And so he became flesh and dwelt among us. And so literally, divine reality, divinity itself, um, the divine word was translated through the incarnation so that into our language to our life and to our existence so that we could learn of it. Um, and as we know, Jesus often quoted scripture, uh, I think his battles with the devil, uh, as he expounded the scriptures, you know, to the, to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, all about himself, it's all about him. Uh, Jesus said at one time, uh, to the scribes and Pharisees, um, you search the scriptures, uh, and in them you think you have eternal life. That almost sounds negative. But they believe that that the physical scrolls, apparently, and many of them memorized the whole Old Testament, somehow that would cause them to merit eternal life. But you said, wait a minute. The purpose of the scriptures it's because they testify of me. They testify of Jesus. That's the whole point of the Bible is to lead people to Jesus, the living word. Daily study, according to the Bible, 
of the Bible is as necessary as bread and water. Um, like plants in a garden, we are either growing or we're dying. In the business world, that's one of the slogans. You either grow or you die. But that's true in life, whether physical or spiritual. Morning and evening devotion and worship first should be the first and last work of every day. Uh, you know, any new skill is going to take time to learn, and the best way to study is every day. Um, whether you're learning to read, you know, as a person in school, a young person, a, a child, or whether you're learning mathematics, you're studying nursing, um, accounting, learning to play the piano, all of that takes time, and it works best if you do it every day. There was a uh, great concert pianist many years ago. He was born in 1860 and died in 1941 from Poland, and his name was Jan Paderewski. And in his day, he was extremely popular um, as a concert pianist, as a, as a composer. And in fact, at one point, he became the prime minister of Poland. Um, somebody asked him, I guess a reporter asked him one day, you know, do you have to practice every day? I mean, already you're accomplished and, you know, you do all these concerts. Do you have to practice every day? He said, yes. He said, if I miss one day of practice, I know it. If I miss two days of practice, my friends know it. If I miss three days of practice, the whole world will know. <laughs> Might have been a slight exaggeration. But still the point was he knew that to maintain that skill, he had to stay with it every day. Um, another skill that takes diligence and takes work and takes effort every day is if you're learning a foreign language. And um, as I got to go through that process many years ago, and I found out that it really helped to be studying every day. I remember a few months ago, maybe it was a month ago, it was a mission report we had for Sabbath school, and there was a lady in another country, and I forgot where it was, but it might have been South Africa, uh, South America. And she wanted to learn English so she could help translate uh, the Bible and and uh, and study guides and, and everything she could get her hand on uh, from English into her own native language to bless as many people as possible. And I think she also wanted to be involved in the radio station and, and be able to proclaim the gospel. And so she announced and actually accomplished her goal every day in learning English was to learn 100 new words. I said, wow, I didn't do anywhere that well when I was studying French. Um, but she did. She just kept after it and became very, very proficient. Um, but anything worth doing takes time. And we'll do it so much better if we do it every day. Um, one of the tools I had when I was studying French many, many years ago, I, of course, had my dictionaries. I started out with a dictionary, you know, from English to French. Um, and then finally I got to the point where I could just read the French dictionary. If you look up a word, you could read it. But one of the 
little books that was a help to me. It's called The Art of Conjugation. There's the usual 8,000 verbs. That's how to conjugate in French. You know, I go, you go, we, you know, we go, you go, and all this conjugation stuff and grammar. That's how to conjugate 8,000 verbs in French. I didn't memorize the whole thing, but I was had to work on it. Um, and um, all of that takes effort. And the point simply is that no matter what we do, and particularly as we deal with the most important thing in life, as of course is our friendship with God and our connection with him through his word, that we take time to do it every day. Many different ways that people um, study the scriptures. Some do uh, you know, straight through Genesis to Revelation, um, which certainly does give us the big picture. Um, one of the uh, most beautiful memories I have as a, as a child um, was my dad reading the scriptures for morning worship. And I can still picture that in my mind. Um, one of the things I suggest to people, if you, for the first time, are starting to read your way all the way through uh, the Bible, that you may find it difficult when you get into the begats, <laughs> you know, which are these long genealogies, a little, little, little difficult. Um, or you get into certain places in, in the book of Judges, which are a little unnerving because uh, it's so sad. And at that point, I suggest that people also spend some time in the Psalms and the Proverbs. It helps to compensate for some of these more difficult passages. But nevertheless, as you continue, you begin to get the, the whole picture. Uh, word study is so beautiful. Um, that's, of course, with the help of a concordance. The very first concordance um, was done back in 1738, completed. It had taken years, and that was uh, this uh, man by the name of Cruden, who was a proofreader and had a little little bookshop, proofreader. And he began, he realized there was a need for a way to be able to look up a word in the Bible. And so he spent years all by himself by hand with the you know authorized King James Bible putting it all in order so that whatever word you looked up would be listed in order by reference. Now if you've looked at even a little concordance you know it's a lot. There are the big concordances which is amazing. Well uh, at the time that this was happening uh, the researchers found that as he was cataloging, cataloging the words of the, of the scriptures, the King James Bible had 774,746 words. In order to put those all in order so you could find any word, including A, the, you know, all the, all the little ones, too, 2,370,300 words. Imagine the work that was done and the gift that he gave to the world to help promote Bible study. Um, I was reading about part of his work, and he did it at home, as after even his regular work, and he would just work long, long hours. And in order to accomplish that, everything you know, by hand, he held these sheets of paper, and they 
said it literally, he would have 10,000 sheets of paper scattered all over his house. And he was trying to, you know, get the word on the right page, which he did. It finally ended up happening. But what a blessing. So that's one way to study. Studying by themes, by topics, great teachings of the Bible, uh, second coming, uh, death, hell, um, of course, the life of Jesus and the Gospels, the Sabbath, Old Testament prophecies. It's also helpful to study uh, different translations, very helpful. I would suggest avoiding the paraphrases because that's not what the Bible actually says. It's kind of interesting reading, but it's not what the Bible actually says. And if you're able to study in a second language, very, very nice to do that and then compare. Very, very helpful for getting the Word of God in our hearts. Uh, there are morning watch books, or which do a meditation on a Bible verse day by day. Of course, the Sabbath school lessons, uh, mission stories from around the world, uh, a number of mission story sources, of course, the Review and Herald, but Gospel Outreach, American Bible Society, just um, tell us about the power of God's Word and what is happening uh, and how it's happening. That as we hear these first-hand stories, we, as it were, are seeing the gospel with boots on actually happening. Um, in fact, in the American Bible Society, there's a short story here where this young boy who um, looks like he might be about 12 years old, and um, he has felt so abandoned. He was abandoned. Um, he was rejected. Uh, and the parents decided didn't need him anymore. They sent him to an orphanage. They left him there, and he's never heard from him since. He said it was like a nightmare and like hell. But thankfully, because of the generosity of, of people who helped the Bible societies distribute Bibles, translate them and distribute them, he was able to get a Bible. And now he says, I have found answers to my questions in the Bible. I realized I'm not the only one suffering. And I found out that God loves me so much. The Word of God refines my thoughts. I am connected. I am happy, satisfied, engaged. Uh, wow. Um, the power of, of, of God's Word uh, is so amazing. There's another story came across in the Gospel Outreach, which is a lay group from the West Coast, <coughs> which sponsors um, Bible workers around the world. And um, the, um, it was a story of, of, a, um, of a shepherd um, who um, decided to volunteer his time to help other shepherds <clears throat> find new pasture. And while he was there, and this sounds like it was happening somewhere in Asia, but didn't say where, um, he would tell them Bible stories about shepherds and sheep from the Bible. And they said, wow, I hadn't heard that before. And so as he began to share the Bible that way, they continued to listen as they would stop and the sheep were feeding. And um, then he helped... Um, somehow get an electronic Farsi Bible, Bible in the Farsi language, which I think was probably Iran, uh, 
and put it on the shepherd's smartphones. Oh, wow. Shepherds in remote places may have a smartphone. Um, and he says, now, because of God's word, on an audio device, there are 30 people waiting to be baptized. Wow. Um, so many other ways that we can study. I've personally been blessed. Patriarchs and Prophets, the Zyre of Ages, which I read in conjunction with the, with the passages in the Bible, bring illumination, inspiration, understanding, appreciation. Another way to study in conjunction with the Bible is, of course, great spiritual books. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress, which was written in 1678. It's an allegorical story of Christian. That's the key figure in the story of the man. His name is Christian, and it's his journey from the city of destruction to celestial city. And if you haven't read it, it's long. And since then, they made some animated um, movies about it, beautifully describing a any person's journey from here to, to heaven and all the trials and troubles they go through. Um, and in the story, and of course, everything is allegorical or is symbolic of experiences in the Bible, events in the Bible. Um, and Christian, along the way, as he is, you know, wanting to get to the city of the celestial city, he runs into a lot of trouble. And there's the giant despair. We talked about depression in Sabbath school. The giant despair. And then he finally, at one point, falls into the slough of despond, which was this swamp. It's all allegorical, but pointing out that people do get discouraged. They get sad. They sometimes get depressed. But God is always there to help us on our journey. Beautiful, beautiful story uh, that's blessed. In fact, um, I believe that during the three centuries since it was written that probably the impact that Pilgrim's Progress has had on the Christian world, the world in general, for Christianity is probably second only to the Bible. It's an amazing story. Um, Our message today is really a call to to have morning and evening worship, whether to continue doing, to start it if we haven't been doing it, uh, to receive the blessings that God gives us. In ancient times, the children of Israel had a number of different sacrifices, but there was a special time when they had the morning and evening sacrifices. Um, and in essence, that's what we are do, called to do, is, is put God first. And even if it's just a few minutes, it can make a difference. Years ago, there was a pastor's son who kind of got tired of playing church and somehow it didn't seem like it was connecting for him. And so he said to God, I'm going to give you a chance to really connect and become real to me. But he said, I'll be fair. I'm going to, st- I'm going to study the Bible every day, and I believe he set aside at least a half hour, maybe it was an hour. He said, I'll do that first thing every day for 30 days. And God, you've got to show up and let me know you're real, because if you don't show up, I'm out of here. Guess what day God showed up? Day 30. Uh, and since then, he's become uh, doing a lot of outreach and sharing with business people around the world because he's a business person, he's an artist, he's a genius in many different ways. But he's inviting everybody. He says, if you spend time with God, even if you don't believe him, just go ahead and read his word a few minutes each day 
you will be amazed at what happens. Some years ago, Beverly told me about a uh, at Oklahoma Academy, there was a foreign student, a girl, who was not a Christian, and she came because they'd heard it was a conservative, safe place to go to school. So she was there, and she had been challenged, as other students, to spend 15 minutes a day with God. But she didn't want to. Yeah, not going to make any difference. But in order to prove them wrong, she'll do it, just to you know, show you it's not going to work. Guess what happened? Uh, she connected with God. And um, it's amazing. Give God an inch, and he'll take a mile. His words, literally, the sounds of salvation, the words of life, these are divine messages and human words, but they lead us to Jesus Christ. Whom to know is life eternal. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the treasure of your word. May we continue to treasure it. May we spend time every day faithfully learning and listening and treasuring and sharing. And speak to us, to our hearts, so that we not only will be blessed, but that we can be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen.